Hey Bulls Nation, welcome to the Rebuildable Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Gentile, and we are oh so close from the beginning of the 2021 NBA season. We've got some preseason games to kick things off shortly, and then we're right into the regular season. It's quick. So naturally, I wanted to preview the 2021 season, but we're going to do this in two parts. Here in part one, we're going to talk with Rob Schaefer of NBC Sports Chicago. I wanted to get the perspective and insight of somebody that covers the team. So we'll talk with him about what he's sensing from the interviews that he's had with players and coaches during training camp. And then in part two, we're going to do some predictions, some over-unders on the win total, player stats, things like that. So that's how we're going to preview this upcoming season. Let's not waste any time. Let's get right to it. Let's bring Rob in. Rob, how's it going? You staying safe out there? Uh, I am. Uh, how are you, Matt? And I and I got to say, as we were saying uh, off air, uh, I got to say all things considered, but all things considered, uh, I do feel like I'm doing pretty well. Uh, it's good to be busy again. It's good that the Bulls are kind of getting up and moving here, especially the way that the rest of the Chicago uh, sports scene is kind of operating right now. But um, uh, it's busy times, exciting times and, and good times. So all things considered, I'm doing pretty well. Before we get into previewing the season, I wanted to ask you actually about coverage this year. Um, how are you and the other reporters covering the team? Are you guys doing this remotely this year, or will there be some limited access to games and practices? So we, we don't have the full access plan yet. It's not finalized, so I shouldn't talk too much about that, kind of the nuggets that we do have. I will say for training camp and for pretty much all practices moving forward, I think it's pretty pretty set in stone that those are remote. Um, so I don't even know. I don't know because I see that they're simulcasting all of the press conferences, but I don't know if they're showing kind of our Zoom screens and that or if they're just locked on the players. Uh, but we are just kind of all at home. I sit in this same chair that I'm in right now. Um, and, yeah, it's all over Zoom. Um, so, you know, there's a benefit to that. I, I do my job in my sweatpants every day, and that's great. Uh, comfortable. It, it's it's kind of easier to roll with the punches of scheduling and things like that. Um, but you lose a lot, too. I mean, even on days where, you know, you don't necessarily pull anything interesting, they say 80 to 85 percent of this job is just kind of waiting around and observing and keeping your head on a swivel, keeping your hand ready to, you know, shake, talk to someone, meet someone new. Um, so there is something lost, I think, in observing body language, kind of just getting the lay of the of the facilities and things like that. But, um, you know, obviously safety is paramount. Uh, I think if they're going to pull the season off, they kind of have to pull out all the stops in, in keeping um, things safe and secure and, and uh, up to speed protocol wise. So um, no complaints. I'm never going to complain about a single aspect of this job, but but it is all it is all remote uh, for the time being. For some of our listeners, if you're comfortable kind of pulling back the curtain just a little bit for, for some of those that maybe don't have that understanding of the elements that go into into your job as a reporter. Um, can you briefly explain, like, why not having that access to, you know, practices or even to like the locker room, how that can be challenging for your job? You know, kind of kind of roughly. I mean, there's just so much of the job that doesn't end up, you know, in a podcast or in an article or in a, even in a tweet. I mean, you, you tweet out a lot of some rogue observations here and there, but there's just so much um, that kind of happens spontaneously. Uh, I think on game nights in a locker room scenario, there's um, just kind of like after the game, guys are showering, guys are getting changed, um, kind of just meandering around getting the temperature of how people are feeling after a given game, uh, talking to people on the side, again, not even always with a recorder out. Um, but that's just how you get to know guys on the team. 
Um, similar things just around the media room uh, in the hallway of the United Center. You know, there's executives, there's there's scouts, there's there's people always kind of walking um, up and down and around. And, you know, like I was saying, this is my first year, so I'm still relatively new. I'm not uh, obviously the most, you know, well-connected person, especially on a beat with a lot of uh, established people that I, you know, really look up to. Um, but there is, there's just so much of this job that requires you to not only be able to digest, see, observe, and analyze the basketball on the floor, but also kind of have a sense of the team dynamics, um, have a sense of who these guys, the players, and, and the people around them, coaches and things like that, uh, kind of get a sense for who they are as people. I think it's hard to tell the story of a season or a team without having kind of an implicit understanding um, of all that uh, underlying it. So it, it is a little tough when, you know, um, for for an availability, for example, um, you're doing it over a Zoom link, you're raising your hand in the Zoom. It's a very delineated order. Uh, there's like an unspoken etiquette of really, you're usually not asking more than one and a half questions. I would say, you know, you get your base question, you get a follow up, or maybe if you come in and say you're going to ask two, yes, two, you know, even in a press conference environment where it's not as personal, um, there's a, there's kind of a flow and a rhythm to it where somebody asks a question, there's a line of questioning. You can follow up as many times as you want. Um, and it can bounce around to different people playing off of, um, you know, different reporters. And, and there's just, it, it, there just seems to me to be, um, you know, in limited experience with this virtual thing, it just seems like you get a lot more from the in-person thing. Um, but we're all still getting acclimated. We're all still getting used to it. Uh, I, I think it's just going to be something that, um, you know, it's something that other sports have obviously dealt with. Uh, uh, during the baseball season, football season, and things like that. So it's not unique to the NBA, um, but there is a lot lost, you know, um, and it's just another layer of the challenge for us to keep things engaging, to keep things as in-depth and behind the curtain as can be when really our only peek behind the curtain is through a computer screen. So that's, it's just a little bit different. Um, you know, you got to just take it as a challenge though and uh, make the most of it. Uh, and again, you know, like I said, and I'll say it at the end of every every anytime I ever talk about my job I'm not going to complain about a single aspect of it so um but yeah that's if that answers your question I think that's that's kind of roughly um roughly it it's just um you know we're just gonna have to see how it develops once the game starts now it's a very interesting kind of uh, perspective to kind of get and I, I I'm glad that you kind of went through that because I think it's important for some of the fans to know like what that uh, what that's like for you guys um so with all this virtual setup right now with training camp through all the interviews you've done so far or you've been a part of what's been the biggest takeaway for you with this team yeah hard to pick one um I'll, I, it, I i i talk in bullet points sometimes or, or i get a little extended so maybe i'll run down just a quick a quick hit of what's in my head right now let's do uh, it I think, I think day one of media week uh it's gotten a little buried a little forgotten about now but um, I thought the commitment by uh, Arturis Karnaschovas to, you know, say that he wants Lowry Markkinen to be around the team long term and that he's really committed to working on an extension as soon as possible. I thought that was uh, pretty eye popping from my perspective, just because of how close to the vest this new regime has kind of played every personnel decision thus far. Um, and then even Lowry Markkinen saying, you know, I'm putting, quote unquote, some pressure uh, on my agent to get a deal done. That's even different from back during voluntary workouts when he was saying that um, he kind of takes a hands-off approach to that. He just focuses on the basketball. His agent focuses on the business aspect. That's a pretty popular, I, I think, public publicly stated approach for players. Uh, but even he kind of came off that. So I thought that was that was very interesting that 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 the both parties were so forthright about that at least publicly um, while the decision was still ongoing uh, and is still ongoing. They have until December 21st to, to broach an agreement before the season starts. I thought that was significant. 
Um, I think we've learned, uh, you know, they're not going to give away all the state secrets, players or coaches, but we've learned, I think, a fair amount um, from a uh, from a zoomed out view of what Billy Donovan's, you know, basic philosophies and, and schemes are. Uh, we've seen a little bit of uh, the talk that he really values player input, that he's a player's coach. We've seen a little bit of that in practice um, when you have a guy like Wendell Carter Jr. saying uh, Billy actually came to me. Uh, and said that he thinks my game can be expanded a little bit more versatile. And he got my opinions on, you know, um, decision-making positions. I can be in, uh, you know, positions he can be in as a ball handler, uh, as a, an outside shooter, things like that. Um, so I think we've seen a little bit of that in action. Um, the philosophical building blocks, obviously being ball player movement, uh, pacing. Uh, they're dialing back the blitz on defense, which I think is a, is a, uh, is a worthwhile um, adjustment to make. Thank so, God. I'm just, yeah, really. A quick aside there. Thank God that they're like we finally heard about that with the X's and O's because that was one thing under Jim Boylan I could not stand. But and it was ama- and it was amazing too because even the players and I think and, and it's tough because I don't I don't think we should spend this whole season ragging Jim Boylan especially yeah. if especially if things do look markedly better with the same roster but the only thing that changes the coaching staff I think it's going to be low hanging fruit and easy uh, you know I don't necessarily think that's the most worthwhile use of time but it is funny because. You know, during training camp, he he is kind of an undercurrent to this whole thing because everything that's new is by nature, you know, different from how it was before. So every comment you make on how something's new or how something's good now, uh, if the flip side of that is something was bad before. Um, so that that's certainly an example of that. Um, you even see guys kind of like smirk and, and uh, you know, like, like you, uh, you know, give the, the answer of, yeah, well, it'll help our conditioning for sure. And it's like, yeah, yeah I, would, I would think so. That's It's pretty taxing style to play. So we got that, um, you know, Kobe, I think a big takeaway, he's going to, mm-hmm. he's going to step into this, this primary, you know, uh, ball handler role. I think tracking how that goes is going to be a huge defining storyline of the season. Um, even though uh, they haven't set a starting lineup yet for opening night or even for the, the preseason game Friday. Um, and then maybe the last one that's in my head right now is just um, kind of how impressive I think Patrick Williams has been. Uh, I know it's easy to say and say all the right things over Zoom during training camp when, you know, we can't even observe practices, much less see him uh, in a real life NBA game. Um, but everything that he said so far uh, has led, uh, I think, media fans. Um, it seems like the Bulls themselves uh, to think that he's, as a 19 year old, pretty uniquely equipped to handle this this kind of whirlwind transition um, that he's going through right now for a rookie uh, without summer league, without a full training camp, all those things. Um, just seems like a, a, a great, humble, um, inquisitive, uh, you know, very, you know, very open to learning and new experiences type of person. Um, and I think for someone that has so much ancillary promise to his game that has to all kind of come together, uh, those are good interpersonal qualities to have. So, um, those, those have been my big ones. You know what? I was actually going to save this for later, but I'll bring it up now since you brought up Patrick Williams. What do you think the realistic expectations are for him this year as a rookie? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I don't know. And we've kind of, uh, you know, I think various people um, in these Zoom calls, reporters have have kind of tried to dance around and attack that question from different angles mm-hmm. to different uh, players and coaches, especially Billy Donovan. Um, they haven't really committed to anything in terms of a ramp up minutes wise yet. So that'll be interesting to track. Um, I just I think a reasonable expectation. He doesn't strike me as someone that's going to rack up uh, counting stats or have the volume enough to be. Um, a rookie of the year type guy, or even a first team all rookie guy, maybe, maybe second team. I'm not sure. Um, but I think, you know, the 20 to 25 minutes per game range gets on the floor with his defense with hustle, um, you know, makes those kind of winning plays that I think will endear, endear him to fans um, uh, at a certain point. I think that's reasonable. 
And I think if he's really, you know, the first or second guy up off the bench by the end of the year, um, because I, I, I still question kind of where, um, you know, for him to get into the starting lineup, what gap is going to have to be vacated for him to get there, whether it be at the four uh, with a guy like Larry Markinen, or maybe, maybe he is able to play uh, more three um, and it's Otto Porter Jr. Now, who knows, you know, as we know with this team and as we know in a pandemic, uh, injuries, health um, could all affect availability and it could thrust uh, Patrick into a position um, that's a little bit more outsized uh, from the jump. We'll see. Um, but I, I think 20 to 25 minutes a game being a prominent, prominent reserve and being brought along kind of slowly being allowed to run some offense in spurts, but really mostly being relied on as um, a, a team defender. Um, a really switchable wing. That's something that they love to talk about is how switchable he is, how multi-positional he is. Um, I think kind of that, that role, um, that kind of do the dirty work, come into the game and kind of fill a bunch of different holes for us. Um, again, as a prominent reserve, I think that's about a reasonable expectation. Now, if he exceeds that, um, that, that, I mean, that'd be great. This is a team that's obviously thin on athletic two-way wings. That's been a huge gap on the roster. That's been a huge gap. Kind of even as we project the roster forward for this rebuild, that's been a huge gap. So I think they'd love it if it was more than that, but um, to place those as the expectations right now, uh, I think feels reasonable, um, especially when you take into account Billy Donovan's history with rookies. He was talking about this the other day uh, about how, you know, reliability, defensive reliability, especially is how you get on the floor for him. Yeah. And like, that's the one thing I, I feel like is the biggest common thread we've heard from Billy Donovan and from some of the other players that it seems like he's already primed defensively or that he's definitely feeling it defensively. Um, kind of reminds me a little bit of when Wendell Carter first stepped in. You you kind of saw, like, even as a rookie, he was head and shoulders better than some of the guys on the team defensively. So I feel like that's always going to get you minutes in the NBA as a rookie if, if you have it on the defensive end of the floor. Absolutely, and especially for this team that lost. I mean, it's two best perimeter defenders when you when you factor in availability mm-hmm. last season. Um, and Chris Dunn, Shaq Harrison. So I, I think that's absolutely his his uh, most logical or, or, or easiest path to minutes. And the thing that he has on his side, I mean, it's obvious, obviously the frame that his body is NBA ready. That's the first thing people will say about him. Um, and I think he also has a pretty solid foundation. Uh, Billy Donovan was saying this the other day, too. Um, from Florida State, they play a very kind of fluid, switch-heavy um, scheme at Florida State. Uh, Leonard Hamilton has a great reputation for uh, developing kind of defensive-minded forwards. Um, Jonathan Isaac uh, being the most prominent recent example, and obviously uh, Patrick Williams' teammate, uh, Devin Vassell at Florida State this year. So um, it, it sounds like those things are going to give the Bulls enough confidence to to give him that shot. Um, and, I, I, you know, it, hopefully um, he can uh, he can seize that because I think having a guy like that, that is the ideal version of this player that they're talking about. Um, it's just so, so valuable for this team. Mm-hmm. And I want to get back to, real quick to Billy Donovan. It seems like almost every player, and you kind of brought this up a little bit too, I mean, they're, they're giving him rave reviews, um, whether it's about his philosophy or just the ability to relate with them. What do you think is going to be his biggest impact in terms of an X's and O's perspective this season? Yeah, I think the, well, we joked about the blitzing thing earlier, but really because they were doing it at such an unfathomable volume last year, I really think that could could be the answer to the question, especially when you factor in things like conditioning. Uh, Daniel Gafford told us the other day I thought it was pretty insightful, and I'm looking forward to the next time we talk to Wendell Carter Jr. so we can ask him about it. Um, was keeping the bigs out of foul trouble um, is is another uh, potential ramification of switching up pick and roll coverages because it's such a pick and roll heavy league. Um, that's something Wendell Carter Jr. has obviously struggled with, and uh, 
they'll be in conditioning too is something he said he's worked on. They'll be relying on him on both ends. So uh, keeping those guys fresh uh, and again, in the game could be huge. So I, I really think that could be um, the answer to the question. The, the offense, obviously there's the most room to improve there because they were 29th in offensive rating last year. And, um, you know, injuries affected it, but for the most part, it really was just, you know, the shot profile was good. Um, and Jim Boylan loved to remind everybody of that. And he was right uh, to a degree, but there was kind of an unimaginative nature to, uh, you know, uh, aspect to it. Um, when you looked at things like, you know, movement off the ball, um, it was a lot of kind of just like stop and watch, uh, run one, one pick and roll. And if that doesn't work, um, you just kind of, uh, freestyle it. Um, so, you know, the offensive philosophy stuff has been a little bit more nebulous than on the defensive side. We've been able to get a little bit more nitty gritty with them. Um, but it's really the, the description of the offense so far has basically just been movement based, a lot of cutting, a lot of pace and, uh, you know, multi-handler. So like Zach said that there's not really much of a difference, uh, much of a delineation between him and Kobe for the one and two, um, Wendell Carter Jr. Obviously, uh, it's been said by multiple people, he's going to have more. Um, responsibilities as a handler, as a decision maker and things like that. So it should be more egalitarian. It should be again, more movement based. Um, so I think that is the area where he can most affect improvement, but in terms of how it looks from an X's and O standpoint, we got to see him in game action before we can really hammer down specifics of it. Cause, uh, and I don't begrudge them for this. They shouldn't give away state secrets uh, at camp. Uh, but it's been, it's been pretty vague so far. The one thing that's been consistent is that people are excited about it. So, um, I guess you kind of take away from that what you will. So with the preseason games starting up in like just a matter of days, you got four on the schedule, two versus Houston, two against Billy Donovan's old team, the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, is that what you're really going to be keeping an eye on uh, during these preseason games? Or, there, or is there something else that you want to look at on the court from these guys? Um, yeah, I, I think schemes will be certainly something to watch, uh, just looking at guys' comfort level. Um, I think really what I'll probably be watching a little bit more than that is kind of um, individuals and just like these, these little individual skills that guys have said that they've been working on over the mm -hmm. offseason. I'm really curious to see how those look in game action. Uh, as we kind of ramp up here, Kobe white, uh, obviously I mentioned him being a huge storyline. I think his playmaking, his decision-making, um, and his ability to create for others is such a huge, huge X factor for the bulls this year. Um, that I'll be looking for that just kind of, um, you know, he mentioned wanting to play at, at more speeds than just one speed this year. I think what makes Kobe so electrifying and exciting is, you know, his ability to get, get hot in a hurry and, and the way that he kind of plays with reckless abandon seemingly at all times, but he's mentioned wanting to rein that in a little bit and assuming that more kind of all encompassing point guard role, I'll be looking to see kind of what his processing looks like in a game environment because preseason is the time to try those things out. Uh, you would think. Um, same with Zach Levine. I'll be, I'll be looking for, for those same types of things, um, from him, Wendell Carter Jr. For all the things we were talking about, um, Patrick Williams is playing time. I think will be something to watch. Um, these aren't things that you could take so, so much away from because Billy Donovan's going to want to, um, you know, jigger with the rotations. He's going to want to, uh, mix things up in preseason when he can, and when he can kind of like, you know, put his pulse on or put the finger on the pulse of a bunch of different areas of the team and see what works and see what maybe doesn't. Um, but I'll be kind of looking at individual players' comfort level, maybe more than um, wide-scale schematic things. Um, I think, I think though, if these wide-scale schematic things result in more movement, uh, more fluid offense, um, and you know, a, a more um, uh, a more stable uh, defense, uh, less kind of home run swing dependent, and more just kind of steady and sturdy, I, I think those things will show up kind of in the bigger picture. 
Uh, but it'll it'll certainly be interesting to watch with so much hinging on player development this year. Kind of those little skills that people say they've been working on. Um, it'll be interesting to see if those start to show up in preseason because if you know if they show up in preseason, you can't take too much away from it. But if they're really aggressively not showing up in preseason, um, then maybe that could you know uh, bode poorly for the rest of the season. So you just kind of have to see there and, and see how that stuff is developing. Yeah, I know I'm going to be watching Wendell Carter very closely because I, I think he's the guy I think Billy Donovan could have the biggest impact on this season. You know, who do you think, Rob, is, is poised to break out in 2021? Agreed. Wendell Carter Jr. He's someone I'm so high on um, if he could stay on the floor. Um, I, I just see so much in the flashes of the ball handling, the passing. Um, the shooting, I probably need to be convinced on a little bit more, even though the, the mechanics look sound. Um, the fact that he's still, you know, hovering around 19% for his NBA career. I know the volume is sporadic. Uh, I probably need to be convinced a little bit more of that. Um, but just the defensive headiness uh, that he plays with, um, I think he plays above his size uh, with his wingspan and just, you know, the the smarts that he has rotating and kind of just being in the right place, making plays. Um, I just think there's so there, – there's and there's so much room for him to to continue exploring and expanding his game offensively. Um, I think when you look at that, when you look at Billy Donovan's history, it's a little bit of a cliche line, but when you look at his history – with kind of two-way highly skilled centers from the Al Horford, Joaquin Noah, Florida days to Stephen Adams adding um, mm-hmm. a facilitatory element to his game last year. Um, I just think there's so much room for Wendell to go up if he could stay on the floor um, that he really, really seems like he could be poised uh, for a big jump for me. Uh, I would say him and then, you know, my honorable mention would be Kobe. Um, just if, if that playmaking element comes and he does show the capacity to be that point guard that, is always kind of aware of the ancillary elements of the game and getting other people involved and riding uh, another teammate's hot hand, as opposed to just himself playing well, which isn't a bad thing to be concerned about, but it sounds like Billy Donovan's vision of a point guard is, is a little bit more um, kind of in control of every aspect of the game, as opposed to just what they can control themselves. Um, that'd be my honorable mention. Cause I think if he can add that element, it just opens up so much for his scoring and opens up so much for his teammates and it opens up so many team building possibilities. It opens up so much more optimism for this Bulls rebuild if they can say that that point guard position is closer to Saul. Mm-hmm. And to go back real quick to your point about Carter, that skill about passing is so crucial because his first year before Fred Hoiberg got fired, you saw him operate from the high post and actually was really, he was very fluid in that role. And I'm kind of excited because what you called out there with Billy Donovan, I mean, he's had some of the best high post passers, you know, under his tutelage, right? You know, Joe Kim, Horford, Steven Adams. I mean, that's, I feel like he could be a major catalyst in that half court offense for sure. Yeah. He could just be such a fulcrum from that position, whether it be handoffs mm-hmm. uh, or, or, you know, facilitating other ways, again, using his own handling ability. Um, there, if he if you could put him in that triple threat position, uh, I think a lot of people will be surprised uh, by his ability because it does seem like there's still a perception out there of, oh, he's undersized, not athletic enough, fouls too much, uh, gets injured too much. And there's certainly validity to all that. There's validity to pretty much any criticism you can think of a person on this roster because they still do have so much to prove. Um, but again, yeah, I, and I th- I just think Wendell clearly sees it in himself, the ability to do those things. His teammates clearly do too. And now with a coach who's willing to kind of engage receive input from him and implement that um you know at least uh on paper that's what that's what's being said um i just there's such an opportunity for him and i think um you know that's that's just a really exciting that's exactly the type of player that you want at that position um the way the modern nba is trending 
Um, so that that can just be such an exciting thing um, for the Bulls. And another thing like the Kobe point guard thing that really just opens up so much room for optimism and team building and, and things like that if he can really pan out. So I have a few more questions before we wrap up here, Rob. Um, you gave me the breakout player and then the honorable mention. Is there somebody that you think could be a sneaky good player this season, like a sleeper or slightly unheralded player that could surprise us? It's a good question. Hmm. That's why I asked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's one thing I was told. Uh, I, I can't remember if I was told this in, in a class or by somebody um, that I was just talking to just in, in the sports world, but um, it's, it, I always take it as a compliment when someone says that to me, good question, but really all it is is a stall tactic. I'm just trying to think right now. Oh, totally. <laughs> Dragging my brain. Um, I'm a little torn because I think there are a lot of kind of unheralded guys um, on this roster. Um, you know, you know, we'll go with, I'll go with Tomas Sadoransky. And I, I think there are a lot of candidates for this and you, you could run through any one of them and maybe he's not quite unheralded enough, but I think he, his, the perception of him among Bulls fans has soured a little bit. And it does seem like he'll be falling back into a reserve role this season. Um, and maybe at $10 million a year, he's a little overpaid uh, to be that kind of backup point guard. I, I just see so much um, ability and so many of his abilities, I just think still can help this Bulls team, his decision-making um, for with his positional size, just the ability to toggle between multiple positions. I, I think what really held him back last year was, uh, and we'll see if it's an anomaly or not, because he's only been in the NBA for three or four years, I think four. Um, was he shooting? I, there was just so there were just long stretches last year where it just didn't seem like he could make a shot. Um, his three point percentage, I think, overall was down five or six points from his career mark. His catch and shoot three point shooting, which is something I really have an eye on, um, was down eleven or twelve points from his career mark. And I think if those shots, he said he's worked with a, a shooting coach um, back home in the Czech Republic this off season. Um, that kind of there were these famous reports back when he was in Washington that. Uh, this guy added, you know, 20 to 22 points to his um, three-point percentage between his first and second years in the NBA. Um, I think if he can add that element back into his game uh, and it can unlock all these other components that, you know, from, you know, being serviceable on the defensive end to being a really good passer uh, to just being smart, a good communicator on the floor, there's another thing that you catch when you're um, when you're able to be in person and sit even courtside for these, which even if we do get in the arena, I don't think they're going to let us within, um, you know, <laughs> within even shouting distance of the players and they shouldn't, um, you know, with the pandemic and everything. But uh, I just think there's so many little things that he brings to the game that if the actual shot making comes to fruition, especially catch and shoot, because he could play off ball um, off a lot of the ball handlers and creators that we've talked about on this team already. Um, I think he's someone that can really fill a lot of gaps, especially in a bench position um, He uh, or in a reserve role. Um, he just fits so many different lineup configurations, such a smart player. Um, such a likable guy. I, I just think I think there's a lot about Sato that can elevate this team again if the shot making component comes around. So that's one that again, and it's because there's so much room to improve because last season went so haywire for him. Uh, but I, I think he's someone that that could surprise a lot of people, rise from an unheralded role, and, and make an impact. Your stall tactic worked because that was kind of where I was going to go with this. I thought Tomas Sadoransky to me was the type of guy that I think could have a really sneaky good year this year for a lot of the reasons you mentioned too. So they're definitely, I think you would agree with this, there's a lot of energy among the fan base probably for the first time in years. And I think, myself included, I'm anticipating a season with plenty of growth, but I also know some teams in the Eastern Conference got better. You know, Atlanta added pieces that could make them a low-seed playoff contender, 
Brooklyn, of course, is getting some big pieces back and Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. For the Bulls, how much has to break this roster's way to just contend for a, a playoff spot? And I'm talking a low playoff spot. Do all of the the core pieces, you know, Zach, Lowry, Wendell, Kobe, maybe even a little bit of Patrick Williams, do they have to play near at their ceilings for this team to get to that point? Well, they're all so young. I, I, I struggle to even pin down what their ceilings, you know, their ultimate career ceilings um, are right. going to be. When you say playoffs, do you with this playing thing? I, I gotta, I gotta get an answer to that once and for all. When people ask me for playoff predictions, are we talking top eight? Is t- does top ten count? So you know, and that's a really good point to make in this thing, right? So I guess when I'm looking at at this team contending for a, a playoff spot, I would say probably within that top ten, knowing that they could be flirting with getting into the bottom two seeds. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt that they should be in that mix. Um, I think with some of the improvements the teams have made at the bottom there, Atlanta and Washington specifically, um, it's it's an uphill battle. Um, but in terms of how much has to break right, I, I'm pretty comfortable coming into the season and I, just admitting that I, I really don't know, only because there's so many nebulous factors surrounding this team. Uh, one, kind of how much of an impact um, can coaching truly have for this roster that has underperformed or, or, or are we going to reach a point where it's kind of like, um, well, actually, at some point, the players that are on the floor uh, having the, tw- the 22 to 27 win seasons need to take maybe a little bit more accountability. I think this is a this is a year Well, not that they have to take more accountability, but that more of the onus should be on them as opposed to, you know, being able to say, um, well, the, the, the coaching is the reason that this is all gone, um, all gone south. I think this year will be a real defining one for that. Um, but in, in terms of what has to um, in terms of what has to break, right, we'll see. Because this team was a team that was in a lot of close games last year, and you figure, um, you know, in a 72-game season, uh, if you go from winning, uh, you know, uh, how are, 33% of those, if you go from winning 33% of those to half of those, uh, it can really change a lot uh, in terms of your fortunes. Um, so that's that's certainly an aspect. Billy Donovan's obviously a great um, coach in terms of his late game record of the teams that he's coached at the NBA level um, have done really well in close games, especially last season. Um, so I think that's a factor. Uh, but ultimately, you know, I could see this season going from the ceiling of, you know, being in that seven to eight seed mix to the floor of being kind of 11 on the outside looking in and kind of like last year, uh, at least, uh, before injury struck where they were kind of perpetually two to three games out of the eight seed could always talk themselves into being in the hunt, but never really feeling like they were in the hunt just because, you know, people who watch the team on a night to night basis, um, could kind of see through that and see that this wasn't a team that was, um, that was competing with high level competition, but just didn't seem capable of getting over the top against them. Um, so that, that component is going to be huge. I, I think there is kind of a wide variance for how this season could go. Um, but for me, especially, I, I think it's going to be very instructive to see what the impact, the true impact of, of coaching is what coaching methods work. Um, and really obviously for the new front office regime who said they're going to use this uh, season as uh, an evaluation year. Um, it'll be instructive as to, you know, which pieces are we really going to build around here or with the newfound cap flexibility next offseason, even at the trade deadline, um, are we going to shake things up? So uh, I don't know if that answers the question. I think things are going to have to break pretty well um, for the core. But if you could say that a guy like Lowry Markin was playing, you know, in, in terms of the if, if, the, if the metaphor is a house um, and he was, you know, playing in his cellar. Um, I think any step closer to his ceiling, even if he doesn't get all the way there, 
Um, if he's even on the, the first floor or halfway up the stairs to the attic, um, I, I think that could just make a huge difference just because of how low the lows got um, last year. Uh, so, you know, wide variance, um, but the, the plane certainly helps them because it'll keep them in the mix, I think, for a lot longer. And I, I think that's the design um, from the NBA. Well, and, and it's very interesting, and I, I totally agree with the approach they're taking of, of looking at 2021 as, as a full evaluation year. Because last year, I think one of the biggest sins that Garpax committed and Jim Boylan committed was trying to commit to that team being a playoff team. I think it, it actually kind of gave them the kiss of death in a way to, to do that. Yeah, 100%. Um, it, it came back to bite them at every turn last season, really, the, that 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 kind of now infamous line um, at the beginning of the season. I think to their credit, they've, they've sort of seemed to have uh, learned a lesson from that. Obviously, the coaching staff is different, but the players, um, really, other than Zach Levine, who has this own personal white whale of, ma- of you know, making a, the playoffs for the first time, no one's really even talked about playoffs. It's just been... Um, it's just been a, a real improvement-focused mindset, a real growth-focused mindset. And I think when you start the season off with one set of expectations and you try to pivot to that midseason, it rings hollow. Um, but with all the changes that have been made, it seems there's a little bit more substance to that to that this year. So forgive me in advance, Rob. I, I have to ask the obligatory question about win total. Um, so how many wins do you think the Bulls will have in the 2020-21 season? And you look, you can give me a range if, if that's easier. I'm moving on my calculator so I can adjust because I, I think in an 82 game slate, I think 30 to 35 and maybe mm-hmm. even closer to 35 is totally reasonable um, for this team. Uh, because I, I really think there are, you know, and maybe I should even do this, go and handpick the games from the 22 and 43 season um, that they had last year. Uh, there really are multiple games that you can pick out of there that, um, I can confidently say that with better coaching, they might've had uh, a shot. That Lakers game in December last year. I mean, that was ugh. keeping the second, the second unit in as long as Boylan did and, and squandering what, like a 20 point lead. Yeah. And the, and the, and, the, and on countless other occasions, the timeout management, like the, there's just so much that you really can directly tie to coaching that. And they were on. So the, the, the tricky thing about last season is they were on a 28 win pace uh, over the course of 82 games. But if you look at, the schedule that they were staring down for the end of that season, if the uh, pandemic didn't force them into a suspension, uh, suspending the season, um, there were not a lot of wins left. So I actually think it, it almost did the Bulls a favor because things could have really, really gotten sour um, towards the end there. Uh, but I think when you factor that in, and then just the bump um, that a new coach gives you just in other aspects and not necessarily uh, these kind of coin flip games. Let's see, 35... I really quick, I want to illustrate for listeners. So Rob's on camera. I'm watching him actually look down at a at some type of calculator to come up with this win total. There it is. Answer. I'm gonna say 31. I think that's I, I think that's reasonable. High 20s to very low 30s. I think that that's about the equivalent of 35 in a normal season. I think just coming in a hair under 500. I think, and depending on how all the uh, uh, individual pieces improve over the course of the year. I think that could be easily considered improvement for this team. I think that easily puts you given what the East is. I mean, even these teams are improved, but it's not, you know, it's not the Western conference by any means that puts you in the thick of, of contention for that kind of play into eighth seed range. Um, and I think you could count that as a step in the right direction. Now, is it ideal? Is it what people want to see? No. Um, but for the way that this is going to get built, it seems like with the new front office um, in kind of this methodical fashion, um, I think you'd have to consider that a step. Hmm. So, so you got the Billy bump getting them to about 31 wins. I like that. 
real quick before I spring you loose, where can listeners find your stuff on Twitter and give them all the ways that they can they can read you and and listen to you? Yeah, this is this is uh, the the part that I struggle with the most is remembering to do that. So I always appreciate when when people remind me. Uh, on Twitter, it's at Rob underscore Shafe. The Bullstock Podcast uh, is uh, is our is our Bulls vertical podcast over at NBC Sports Chicago. It's uh, twice a week. Um, it's me, Jason, uh, Jason Goff, uh, Casey Johnson, uh, and Tony Gill uh, makes a sporadic cameo every now and then. We've got guests on all the time too, um, so that's always a fun time. Uh, and then NBCSportsChicago.com. Casey and I are pumping stuff out every day there. Uh, my team's app uh, is another way to. Um, uh, to get at uh, our written content, um, so that's that's pretty much as much as I can uh, I can think of off the top of my head. I think I did Well, and I had mentioned this to you before we started recording. Uh, the work you guys are doing over there is fantastic. The work you're doing, Rob, is fantastic. I think I know other Bulls fans like the work you're doing, and you know really like your addition to the coverage. So keep up the great work, and I I can't wait to have you on. I'm sure at some point during the season or later on thank you so much appreciate that man it's it's gonna be a sprint and a marathon so uh i'm looking forward to it thank you for listening to the rebuildable podcast be sure to check us out and subscribe on spotify stitcher apple Podcasts, google play or wherever else you stream your podcasts